go. See, the sound guys would have been really upset had I forgotten. See, I was a sound guy before I uh, traded in for this side, which I'm more comfortable on that side than I am on this side. And since I'm talking about that this evening, I'm going to put in a plug for the sound guys in the church, okay? Because everybody, only time you ever get noticed is when things go wrong, right? You know, you do everything right most of the services, then something happens and, you, and something goes wrong and everybody turns around and looks at you like, what are you doing? What's your problem? I know, I've been there. I'm, 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 one, of, I'm one of you. I'm one of them. So thank you for the sound ministry and for the guys that run that and work behind the scenes. It's great to be here with you this evening. I was not expecting to be up here this evening preaching. Um, I had actually, we, we weren't even, we weren't going to be here at all this evening. In fact, uh, we are headed out to Knoxville for a meeting tomorrow. Uh, and I had talked with Naomi and I had said, well, you know, do you want to leave tomorrow morning? Because it's only about three and a half hours from where we are in Shelby. I said, we could just get up early, leave tomorrow morning, or would you rather go over tonight? And she said, I'd, I'd rather go over tonight. So we were going to go to church down in Shelby. And then I said, well, you know what? If we came up here to church, that would put us an hour closer. I can stop in. I can hear Pastor Philip preach because I never get to hear him preach. So let's do that. So I waited on purpose. I waited until about noon to send him a message because I thought if I tell him too early, he's going to say, why don't you preach when you come up? And I'm going to tell him I'm not preaching because I want to hear you preach. So I waited until about noon and I just sent him a message and said, hey, do you guys take visitors on Wednesday nights? And he sent me a message back and he said, sure we do. I said, great. And see, now he was baiting me because if he had said, not only can you visit, you can preach, I would have said, well, uh, you know, I was asking for somebody else because I didn't want to commit. So he said, sure we do. So I said, hey, we're going to stop by for service. And he waited a little bit and then he sent a message back and he said, this must have been of the Lord. And I thought, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> And uh, he said, I have actually not been feeling well. Would you mind preaching for me? And I thought, he will do anything to get out of me hearing him preach. He never lets me hear him preach. No, but I, I thank the Lord that the Lord worked that out because the Lord changed our plans as of last night to account for the fact that he had something going on with Pastor Philip. So I'm glad that we could be here to fill in for him and he can get some rest and get back up to, to 100%. As you already know, we're, there's only three of us for the first time coming here. There's not a fourth. Lincoln is not here with us. We dropped Lincoln off um, about three weeks ago at Pensacola for his first semester. So Lauren is now an only child, something that she is not really enjoying all that much. I think she, would, she thought she would have enjoyed it more, but uh, she's been a little bit lonely there at home without Lincoln being there. So she's adjusting to being an only child, and uh, Lincoln is enjoying his first semester there at Pensacola. So we are traveling lighter these days. Um, let's go ahead and open our Bibles this evening. And I've got more time than I like. You all know my philosophy. My philosophy is always, if I let you out early, you'll want me to come back. But tonight, there's other ministries going on and other things going on. So even if I let you out early, there's nowhere that you can go. So I have to run the full time tonight. And then we've got prayer. So I know that I've got about 40 minutes or so, which is about 10 minutes longer than I like to go. So since I've got 40 minutes, I figured I'd spend a little time talking and talk about 
the sound guy and Lincoln and everything, and then we'll jump in. So I've burned up my extra time. Let's go to Mark chapter number seven. I think tonight that we are going to talk about a passage that I, I would doubt, and we'll see after I read these verses, I would doubt that many people have ever heard preaching from this passage, um, or at least not a lot. But it is in God's Word, so if it's in God's Word, then we need to look at it, and we need to figure out what God would say to us. And I think that God is saying a lot to us here, and I think there's a lot that we can learn from this passage here in Mark chapter number 7. Did I say Matthew? It's Mark chapter number 7 this evening. And we're going to begin reading in verse number 24. Mark 7, verse number 24. And let's do this. Let's read responsibly this, responsibly this evening. Let's get everybody involved. I'll read the even verses. So I'll start in verse number 24. And then if we could read the odd verses out loud. Uh, you read verse number 25. Then I'll read 26. Then you all read 27. We're going to read down to verse number 30. All right, Mark chapter number 7. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 24. The Bible says, And from thence he arose and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon and entered into an house and would have no man know it, but he could not be hid. This side reads faster than this side does. That is obvious. So it's like an echo going on here. So I'm going to go to 26 and then we'll all read 27 together and get the pacing right. The woman was a Greek, a Seraphonician by nation, and she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. 27. But Jesus said unto her, let the children first be filled. For it is not meet to take the children's bread and cast it unto the dogs. And she answered and said unto him, Yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. Verse 29. And when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out and her daughter laid upon the bed. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this time that we can spend in your word. God, I thank you for the opportunity to be here and those that have come out to be in your house. God, I pray that you would bless our time together, that you would open our eyes, that we might be able to see the wondrous things that you've placed in your word for us. God, I pray that you would take me as your servant, that you would empty me of any self and cleanse me of any sin. Fill me with your spirit, that it might be all of you and none of me, and that you might receive the glory and be lifted up for it's in Jesus name we ask and pray. Amen. How many people can remember hearing preaching at any point in your life from this particular passage on the Seraphonician woman? Just raise your hand, slip your hand up a couple. Okay, a couple. I was trying to think through if I had ever heard preaching on this passage. Now, that should always make you nervous because there's a good chance that what I say might be heretical, okay? So, Pastor Philip may need to come back and patch it all up for me after, the, you know, next week. So, just keep in mind that I'm going to keep closely to God's Word here. But there are some incredible things that I believe that the Lord would have to say to us about our attitude, 
about this thought of reaching the world, of reaching other people, of reaching other places that get skipped over because there's some tough things here. And we're going to look at some of the tough things that Jesus says and try to understand why he might be saying those things. I think that for all of us, whether you've heard preaching on this passage or not, this passage creates some issues because we have a statement here that is really, really difficult to understand. In fact, most of us look at the statement that Jesus makes here and we think, whoa, why in the world would Jesus say that? That, that seems uncharacteristic. It seems unkind. But we know that if Jesus made the statement that there's a truth there that he's trying to get us to understand. And by skipping over that or thinking that there's something untoward about the statement that Jesus is making, we miss the point of the passage and what he's trying to say. So I want to take a look at this and then we're going to take a look at the context and hopefully it'll help us to see ourselves and to see what God would say to us. In verse number 27, in verse number 26, the Bible says that a woman comes to Jesus. To Jesus and his disciples, we're going to see in, in, an all, in a parallel passage that we're going to look at. She comes to Jesus and the Bible says that she's a Greek, particularly a Seraphonician woman. The point of letting us know that is particularly to let us know that she is a Gentile. That is the point. Whether she's a Greek, Seraphonician, Ethiopian, it really didn't matter. The point here is that she's a Gentile coming to Jesus. Now, we know that throughout the ministry of Jesus that Jesus was particularly focused on the Jews. He said that to his disciples. He said, go out and speak to the children. Why? Because when Jesus came, the offer to the Jews of establishing the kingdom that God had promised was real. It was not a joke. It was not something that God never intended. The, the offer for them to accept Jesus Christ as their Messiah, as their King, was a real offer. And God was serious about that. He'd spent the entire Old Testament telling them that their King was coming, and when He came, be ready for Him. But He wasn't the King that they wanted. But that doesn't mean that, they ch that the, the plan that God had intended changed. So we see this Gentile woman coming to Jesus and particularly the Bible says that she besought him because her daughter had a devil and he wanted, she wanted him to cast out the devil. Jesus says something interesting here. Now, you're familiar with the fact that Jesus has also healed the daughter of a centurion that came and said, I'm a man under authority. I, I know all about authority. You don't need to come under my roof. All that you need to do is say the word and my daughter will be healed. We're all familiar with that passage, right? Shake your head. Yeah, if, we, if you're familiar with that passage. We're all familiar with that passage. So what we know is that Jesus was not saying that he would not help Gentiles. We know that. Because at various times throughout Scripture, throughout the ministry of Jesus, we see him doing just that. So the point here is not that somehow Jesus doesn't like Gentiles. Thank God for that, right? So we understand that that is not the point. And if we start with the understanding that that is not the point, then we can look and see what the point is. The Bible says in verse number 27, But Jesus said unto her, let the children first be filled. The first thing that Jesus says is that we need to establish priority. 
priority here. He says, let the children, notice the word, first be filled. He doesn't say that nobody else is going to get to eat. He doesn't say that no one else is important. He says, first of all, the father's responsibility is first to his children. We would all agree with that. For those of us that have kids here, I feel compassion on people who don't have anything to eat. I want to help them. When I see children that don't have anything to eat, my heart goes out to them. I want to help. But there is a priority. My responsibility first is to my own children. Would we all agree with that? I have to make sure the Bible says that if I don't take care of my own household, I've denied the faith and I'm worse than an infidel. The Bible says that I have a responsibility to take care of my family. Jesus looks at her and he says, there's a priority here. The priority is first of all to the children. And then he says these words, it is not meat or it is not fitting to take the children's bread and cast it unto the dogs. Now, we see the word dogs and we immediately think, wow, that's a little bit harsh because we would never call someone in our society, we would never call someone a dog, especially someone that we were not trying to insult. But we understand here when we look into this passage, we understand that the word dogs here is the thought of our household pets. Okay, And we know that she was not offended by this because we're going to see the way that she responds in just a moment. The thought is, how many people here have a pet at home? How many people's pet stays inside? My dad always believed that dogs belonged outside, right? So we never had dogs inside the house. In fact, by the time I came along, my dad was just like, we don't need them at all. So we never had any pets as long as I was young. But these days, everybody has pets, right? Let me ask you a question. Do you care for your pets? Sure. Do you make sure that your pets eat? If there were a choice between feeding your child and your pet, who's going to eat first? I would hope your child. Some people, you hesitated there. You're like, you don't know my kids. I, I don't know your kids. But I would hope that your children are going to eat first. Therefore, if I were talking to you, you would say, even though I love my pet, it doesn't make sense for me to take the food that I'm going to feed to my kids and give it straight to my pets and not let my kids eat. That doesn't make sense. Why? Because he says, first of all, there's a priority, but he says then there's a philosophy. It makes sense that the children are going to eat first before you take care of anything else. We know that the Jews are God's chosen people. In fact, that's never been a question throughout Scripture. Uh, Paul says that the, that, the, that the gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone that believes to the Jew first and also the Greek. We understand that in our missions. We understand that in our evangelization, that we should have a heart to reach out to Jews first because they are special to the Father, therefore they should be special to us. Jesus looks here and he says, there's a philosophy that accompanies the way that we go about doing things. And that philosophy is that the children should eat first and then, and then we'll take care of everybody else. But it's interesting here that he says, let the children first be filled. Filled. Because it's not meet to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. Why does he use these words in particular, filled and bread? 
Because he does say at some point that the children will be filled, right? The, the point of the gospel was always to go to the whole world. So there is a point at which the children are filled and then everything else will be taken care of. Well, I believe there's a reason that Jesus specifically made this statement. And I believe that we find it in the context of Matthew chapter number 7. And I want to ask you this question. How do you approach giving God's word, the bread of God's word, how do you approach giving it to people that are outside of these walls? How do you approach giving it to your neighbors? How do you approach giving it to your friends, to the people, to your coworkers? How do you approach that? See, because I think for a lot of us, what happens is we love coming into God's house. We love hearing good preaching. We love eating and being full. We come on Sundays. We come on Wednesdays. We come and we hear God's word. We get to enjoy banquets and other things. We bring our kids to participate. We get to fill up on God's word. And God says, that's a good thing. Let the children first be filled. But let me ask you a question. At what point do we look and say, you know what? There's others out there that need what I have. And I've got so much that now I need to make sure they're getting it as well. Man, I love Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesdays, special days. I love it. But you know what? I think that spiritually I'm getting a little fat. And instead of being spiritually fat, I need to start giving away some of this good stuff to the people that are out there that are starving in a world that has no truth, that has no God. I've got to get it out to them. So my question is, are we full yet? Are we full yet? Have we gotten to the point where we look and we say, you know what, thank God for everything he's given me. Now I need to get it out. I want to show you a couple of things from this passage. In verse number one of chapter number seven, go back to verse number one with me because I want to show you something neat. The Bible says, Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat, what? Interesting, because we're going to circle back around to bread in just a minute with what Jesus says, right? So beginning this chapter, we're seeing that the thought of bread is already there. Seeing the disciples eat bread with defiled, uh, with defiled that is to say, unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft, eat not holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be, which they have received to hold as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels and tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, why walk not thy disciples according to the traditions of the elders, but eat bread with unwashing hands? 
Now, I know what you might think. You might think, well, that's just good hygiene, right? I mean, we all wash our hands. What's, what's the big deal about washing your hands? You should wash your hands in order to avoid the spread of germs. But don't read back your modern-day interpretation back into 2,000 years ago. They didn't know anything about microscopes. They didn't know anything about the spread of disease. They didn't know anything about germs being spread by not washing your hands or washing your hands with soap. That is not what the issue was. What we see here is a defined hypothesis. The Bible says that they came and they looked and said, why are your disciples eating without washing their hands? Because the tradition of the elders, the traditions that have been passed down, are that they should do this before they eat. Now, if you're not familiar, the tradition of the elders was called the Mishnah, or is still called to this day, the Mishnah. It was an oral tradition of not just God's word, because that was written down by Moses and others. Not just of God's word, but traditions that were passed along by scribes, by other members of the, of the leadership, and there were all of these rules and regulations, and listen carefully, that were held to the same standard as the Word of God. In fact, the Jews believed that the Mishnah, the oral traditions passed down by the elders, could be sinned against. Now stop and think about that. These are not God's laws. These are traditions passed down. How could you ever sin against a tradition, yet that's what they believed? They had these traditions that were so ingrained that they actually believed that when someone broke one of their traditions, they were violating God's word. Stop and think for a second. How many of us as Christians, struggle to tell the difference between our personal preferences and what God's word actually says. I would say it happens a lot. Not in a great church like this with good Christians like yourself, but in other churches, right, that you've seen. Would never happen here, but in other churches, you've seen people that hold their traditions very, very highly. That was the problem that they had. All of a sudden, where God never said, thou shalt not eat bread with unwashed hands, they said, why are you guys sinning against the tradition of the elders when you're not doing the things that have clearly been handed down to us? Well, Jesus is not happy with this. Jesus looks and says in verse number six, he says, well hath is, uh, Isaiah, is, Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain they, uh, do they worship me, teaching, notice, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandments of God, ye hold to the traditions of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things ye do. He looks and he says, wait a minute. You're criticizing me over something that is not part of God's word, 
because you teach it as if it's a doctrine when all that it is is a good philosophy that you've come up with. He didn't say they were wrong. He said that you can't elevate them to the level of God's word. He says there's a problem here. You're looking to find fault with people over your particular area instead of looking to God's word. See, the problem was that Jesus said, let the children first be filled. But then you look at what the context is here and you see that they're filling themselves up, not with God's word, but with their own traditions. Jesus doesn't stop there. Look at what he says in verse number nine. He says, and he said unto them, full well ye reject the commandments of God that ye may keep your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother. Whosoever curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, if a man say to, shall say to his father or his mother, It is Corban, that is to say, a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. Now, what the issue was is that they would go, the Bible says that you're supposed to honor your father and mother. But if you had this particular area, if you had some money or you had an investment that was doing particularly well and your parents, you know that they need that, that they're in need, but you have this thing over here, your pet project, that you can look and you could say to them, hey, listen, I would love to honor you with this, but that's a gift. That's something that I'm giving to God. I've got that reserve for God. I can't give it to you. So I'm sorry, I can't help you because this is reserved for God. He says, now in your tradition, that's okay. But in God's word, God specifically forbids that. He says, how are you looking and saying, hey, hey, you know, uh, we, we honor God when you're more interested in following your traditions than you are in following the words of God. And you know what I find today? I find that if we're not careful, I don't mean you. I'm not preaching at you. I'm saying all of us, if we're not careful, we can find that things that people do, whether it's in God's word or not, bothers us more than the sin that they commit that God's word completely lays out. We look and we say, that person doesn't look like I think they should look. They don't talk like I think they should talk. They don't do exactly what I think they should do. Did you see the way? Well, they worship. That, that, those people over there, they don't worship. I don't like that. They do this or they do that. And we look and we say, well, I'm not going to. Why? Because God's word says it's wrong. No, because it's my tradition. And we have to be careful. Because God says, listen, I've laid out what I want. And the Jews said, yeah, that's good, but we can add a little bit to that. Notice he says in verse number 13, making the word of God, look at this, of none effect through your traditions which ye have delivered. He says you're actually negating the power of the word of God because you're holding to this particular thing that you want. Now, keep this in mind. Jesus says, let the children first be filled. 
My question is, my question is when we look at the passage, do we see people that are still hungry for God's word or do we see people that are so full that they're rejecting the truth of God's word for themselves? Well, I know what I see. I see people who were so full that they could then take God's word and define all of these other things instead of being interested in the people that still hadn't heard it. Jesus looks and says, this isn't good. They had incredibly, impressively defined hypotheses on everything the Bible says. But the problem was that even with the definition of their hypothesis, their hearts were still far from God. I don't ever want to be there. Do you? I don't ever want to get to the point that the Word of God doesn't impact me like it should because I've already got my religion set up. I want to be open every time God's Word is preached. I want the Holy Spirit of God to reach in and say, you need to fix that. I don't ever want to become callous to God's Word. But if I'm honest with myself, how many times do we come into church on Sunday morning and pastor says, open your Bible to this passage and we say, oh, I've heard this one before. Let me get out my phone. Okay, I've got other things to do. How many times do we look and we say, ah, man, I just, I don't feel like going this morning. You know, I'm just, I'm not going to show up. I'm not going to go tonight. I don't, you know, I'm just not, I'm not feeling. How often do we become just like those people that instead of yearning to be fed from God's word, we can get to the point where our hearts are callous, where they're filled up already and we're not open to what God is saying. Are we full? Are we full? It's interesting. They had defined hypotheses, but they had distant hearts. And then I want to take you to Matthew chapter number 15, because I want to show you this parallel passage and something that is going to jump out to you in Matthew chapter number 15. This is the same passage. This is the same passage. This is just Matthew giving us another perspective, and he adds in, Something that's not mentioned in the passage that we're in. In Matthew chapter number 15, in verse number 23, uh, verse number 21. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coasts of Tyre and Sidon. We're in the same place, right? And behold, a woman of Canaan came out. Of the same coasts and cried, Canaan being Matthew relating to us that she was a woman of the land, the Canaanites that had been passed out, this would be that had been cast out. This was the same Seraphonician woman. The Bible says, cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David, for my daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. Notice this. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. This verse bothered me. And the reason that it bothered me 
is because it was one thing to read about the Pharisees and Jesus getting on them. Because I don't see myself that way. But when I got to this verse, Jesus' disciples, the ones that walked with him, the ones that talked with him, the ones that were supposed to know what he was all about, they hear a woman crying out to Jesus saying, have mercy on me. My daughter is vexed. She has a devil. Please help me. And his disciples looked and said, you want us to get rid of her? Man, it was easy to push it off on the Pharisees and say, they're nothing like me. But then I saw the disciples willing to ignore the cries of a woman who was in need because they wanted their time with Jesus. And I thought, man, while I may not be one of the Pharisees, I can see myself here. How many times am I just too busy? How many times am I just too involved doing other things that I think I don't want to be bothered with telling somebody, with handing out a track, with, with telling somebody about Jesus, with talking to that person again? I just don't want to be bothered. And I look like the disciples do when, the, when there are people that are crying out for help. And I look at them and I say, Lord, you want us to get rid of them? You want me to get rid of them? They're bothering me. They're bothering us. Lord, send them away, listen, so that we can have more time with you. The Bible says that Jesus went away to get some time alone, right? That's what it just it told us in, in the other passage. Jesus went away to get some time alone with his disciples. And this woman comes and says, I need help. And the disciples look and say, this is our time. Get out of here. Listen, if we're not careful, we can get to the point where we get so much. And we get so much time. And we get so much of Jesus that it can almost become a bother to us to take it to the rest of the world. And when I read that, I said, Lord, help me. Lord, open up my heart so that I'm not only not the Pharisees, but Lord, I don't ever want to have the attitude that your disciples had of, hey, he's mine. Leave us alone. We help you guys all the time. Leave us alone. It's my time with Jesus. God, I don't ever want to get there. This lady looks with humility and says, you know, you're right, Lord. You're right, Lord. It's not meat. It doesn't make sense for the children's food to be cast to the dogs. But Lord, even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Listen. Salvation is so simple that it's nothing more than the crumbs of what we get on Sunday morning, Sunday night, 
and Wednesday. It's just, it, 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 it overflows. We get, to, we get to come and we get to study chapters and verses of the Bible. And sometimes we even come to church and, and we're used to, you know, sometimes there's a salvation message with an invitation, but we get it so much that sometimes that we, we don't even have to give a full invitation because we know this stuff. And salvation is just like what overflows out of God's people. And all that this world is saying is, hey, even if we can't get all of the theology and all of the deep teaching, even if we can't get all of that, can we just have the crumbs that fall off? Because if they get our crumbs, if this world got the crumbs, it could change their lives. The question is, how full are we? Are we the Pharisees that are willing to follow our traditions instead of Jesus? Are we the disciples that say, hey, send them away. He's ours. Or are we Jesus that says, you know what, you're right. Well said, you're exactly right. Go your way. You know why? Because Jesus died for the whole world. He died for everybody. And to Jesus, there are no small people. He did say, let the children first be filled. But I believe that if he could have talked more with that woman, he would have said, you're not going to believe the plan that I have. Just a few years from now, the gospel is going to go to the entire world and you're going to see a transformation that's going to change this world for over 2,000 years. Hey, lady, just wait because it's coming. Thank God that he's the God of the whole world. But ask God to help us to not be like the Pharisees, but to be careful of the attitude of the disciples and help us to take the good news.